All right. So we do have handouts, and they're over here on this table over here. Again, we have three this morning. So our review handout, and we also have the, um, the class handout for question 14 and 15. We'll see how far we get as to whether we dive fully into question 15. And then also I've printed out a copy of the uh, Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary's their faculty statement on creation. And if we get into uh, question 15, we're going to take a look at some of the pieces of that. So, so those are our three handouts this morning. And uh, let me go ahead and open this up in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for the rain. We thank you for all of your uh, provision for us. We do pray that you would bless us now as we open up and consider your word, uh, consider your decrees, and consider how you executed those decrees. We, uh, we pray that you would bless us in our study, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, as per usual, let's go ahead and start with our review handout first. Our review handout. And this morning we'll be beginning with question 11. How doth it appear that the Son and the Holy Ghost are God equal with the Father? The Scriptures manifest that the Son and the Holy Ghost are God equal with the Father, ascribing unto them such names, attributes, works, and worship as are proper to God only. What are the decrees of God? God's decrees are the wise free and holy acts of the counsel of his will, whereby from all eternity he hath for his own glory unchangeably foreordained whatsoever comes to pass in time, especially concerning angels and men. And what hath God especially decreed concerning angels and men? God, by an eternal and immutable decree, out of his mere love, for the praise of his glorious grace to be manifested in due time, hath elected some angels to glory, and in Christ hath chosen some men to eternal life and the means thereof. And also, according to his sovereign power and the unsearchable counsel of his own will, whereby he extendeth or withholdeth favor as he pleaseth, has passed by and foreordained the rest to dishonor and wrath, to be for their sin inflicted to the praise of the glory of his justice. All right, amen. Well, as we move into question 14 here this morning, uh, we are really wrapping up the Westminster Divine's treatment of God's decrees. And uh, this last question regarding his decrees uh, are, is about how God executes his decrees. Okay, So he's given us and made his decrees, but 
How does he carry those out, really, is the, the question here. So let's say the answer here together. How does God execute his decrees? God executed his decrees in the works of creation and providence according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will. All right. So really the focus then is, as I said, is how does God carry out his decrees, but, uh, and, and in what way specifically he does so. But we see that they are carried out exactly the way that he desires in creation and providence. Okay, in creation and providence. Now, we may be very well familiar with creation, but what is providence? What is providence without cheating and looking at the sheet? Any of you young people know what providence is? Young people could be a wide range of ages, too, by the way. Okay, I'll open up. Anybody? Anybody have some ideas on providence? What is providence when we're talking about God's providence? Yeah? Yeah, how God preserves and orders all of his creative works and creation. Yeah, yeah. So if you look at the sheet there, it's the, it's the doctrine that God, the, crea the great creator of all things, he upholds, he directs, he disposes and governs all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest even to the least. Okay, so as we think of this, um, we need to understand that that's true entirely, right? Completely. There is nothing, there is no creature so small, no, no atom, no mo molecule, no subatomic particle, no piece of his creation at all, which he created all of it. There is no piece of his creation that he is not over, and that he is not governing, um, and that he is not directing and upholding. And so if you think about it, as you think about the decrees that we've just considered, right, and we've talked about the decrees in regards to foreordination, we've talked about predestination, we've also talked about election, right, in terms of men and angels. As you consider his decrees um, and, and how he brings things to pass, um, in his creation, um, it is important to know that he governs them all. Again, going back to his character, going back to what we talked about in regards to sin and evil, uh, in regards to um, how God has, in his perfect wisdom and will, and according to that, how he has brought all things to pass, um, it's important for us to, to know these things. Um, so, uh, then what does God teach us about this in Scripture, right? How do we know that this is true? This is where we should always go. Um, Revelation chapter 4, let's turn there first. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, and then if somebody else could grab Isaiah 40. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, 
right? We see the testimony of the 24 elders who fell down and worshipped, right? And they say, "Worthy, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For what? For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. So this is a testimony to God's work of creation. Um, it is also a, God's, a testimony to God's sustaining work in and regarding his creation. If the Lord were to remove his hand, but just a little bit, right, we would fall apart, right? It is because of him, and we're going to look at some other passages here in a minute that support this too and give us even some more wonderful picture to it, but... Uh, it's because of him and because of his upholding all things, his sustaining all things, that we move, that we exist, that we have our being. Right? Isaiah 40, uh, verse 12 through 31. Somebody have that? I got it. Go for it. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and clothed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult, and who made him understand? Who taught him the paths of justice, and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket, and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it. And a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts it for silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who, bring prince, who, bring, who brings princes to nothing, and makes the rulers of the earth as infants. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth, when he blows on them and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not heard? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Amen. Praise the Lord. This, this is a chapter in Scripture that you should really bookmark. I think, right? And that you should go back and frequent in your studies, in your, in your readings, and in your devotions. So this shows wonderful things about our God, right? What, what are some of the things that stuck out to you 
in regards to creation and uh, his creating and even sustaining creation, what what are some things, maybe what are some verses that stuck out to you there? So you can really see here this this picture from Scripture of the greatest to the least, right? uh, of the most magnificent to what some would consider maybe the most insignificant, right? Uh, but but God has created them all; He rules them all. If, if you notice the this rep, the repetition in question, right? Even back as you look at twelve, and as He goes into fourteen. You know, with whom did he take counsel and who instructed him and who taught him in the path of justice, who taught him knowledge, who, who showed him the way of understanding. And then over and over again, what do we see that the questions are? Have you not known? Have you not heard? Have you not been told from the beginning? Have you not understood? Right? To where the Lord gives us, he imparts this knowledge, he, in, he opens our eyes to see his wonderful works. And then he gives us that understanding by his grace. He shows us these very things so that we would revere and honor and glorify him more and more. Right? That, that he truly would uh, take a grander and grander and grander place of awe and, and majesty in our minds and in our hearts. And so we see how in this passage, we see how grand God is, how uh, transcendence, how magnificent, how how other, how how uh, massive he is, right? And we see how small we are, right? If you look at 22, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, right? He stretches out the heavens like a curtain, right? And he spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. That's interesting language right there, isn't it? Like a tent to dwell in. We see very much of uh, similar language that's pointing us to God's dwelling place and even his special presence um, among his creation and in his creation and among specifically his people. So he is not a uh, aloof God who has created all things and then is just stays far away from it. Uh, no, he he engages, he enters in, right? He dwells. But if you look at, uh, Travis brought up some great points in 28, um, but if you look then at 29, 30, and 31, right? You see kind of a, a shift to um, his sustaining work, his providential work, right? He gives power to the weak, those who have no might, he increases strength. 
Right. The God, in a, in really what Isaiah is saying here, the God who never faints and is never weak, is omnipotent, gives strength to those who don't have strength and who are weary. Um, the young men shall utterly fall, verse 30, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Right? They shall mount up with wings like eagles. Now, notice... And some of your translations may have a different word there than renew, but it really has the idea and communicates the message of that uh, those very ones may have had strength before. And they failed, they fell, they were weary, but their strength is renewed, right? The Lord restores, he renews, and what do they do? They mount up with wings like eagles. They run, they're not weary, they walk, and they're not faint. This is the work of God, right, in the, in the lives of his people. This is the work of God as he gives us strength um, in our service to him and for our service to him. So very good. So, so we see these, these decrees being carried out by God in creation and providence. Um, but how does he execute his decrees? What do the Westminster divines say there? Well, according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his will. Again, you see this, this language, the, these adjectives, these descriptions regarding his foreknowledge and regarding his counsel and the counsel of his will, right? You see the infallible aspect of his foreknowledge. You see the free and immutable aspect of the counsel of his will. Um, you see this language uh, and, and it's similar, it's very and even identical in the confession compared to the catechisms. But, and it's over and over again. We see this, these similar things repeated over and over again. And it's important. And why is it important? Because the, the matters that are being presented and taught and the doctrines that are being discussed, it's important to know that as God executes his decrees, he is doing so with a foreknowledge that is not possible to err with, right? And that his counsel and the counsel of his will is free, again, going back to his character, right? Back to his character, back to his attributes. He is independent of his creation. He is not dependent on anything with us. He's not looking down the corridors of time to see what we would do to make decrees in eternity pass. No, he is free. And the counsel of his will is unchanging. Again, like we talked about last time, and this is picking up on question 13 and and 12, too. And that God is unchangeable in his being. He is also unchangeable in his will. Right? And so we see that um, as God decrees these things and executes these things, um, that, that, this is, that what he does is according to this, these wonderful aspects of his will. Let's, let's be encouraged from Scripture in these things. Psalm 148, verse 8. Psalm 148, verse 8. And we can go back to verse 7. Can somebody read 7 and 8? Very good. 
Okay, what were all of those things doing? What were what is each part of, the, of those pieces of his creation doing? Fulfilling his word. Right. Fulfilling his word. Daniel 35. Let's look at Daniel, excuse me, Daniel 4, verse 35. And if somebody else could grab Acts 4, 24 through 28. Yes, sir. All right. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? Very good. So we see what? That he does everything according to his will. Right? No one can stay his hand. No one can say, What have you done? Now, here. This is stated in Daniel 4. Where have we heard that type of language before in our study? Romans 9. Yeah, right? How can the potter, how can the, the clay say to the potter, what have you done? Why have you made me this way? Right? No, we see the sovereign authority of God over his creation and everything coming to pass according to his sovereign will. Not the will of man, not the will of his creation. Right. So, um, Acts four thirty-five through, or excuse me, twenty-four through twenty-eight. Uh, Go for it. Read that. Very good. So we can see statements regarding the execution of his decree in creation and the execution of his decree in providence here, can't we? What, where do you find those statements true in these verses? Which verses do you find statement about creation? Anybody see it? Call it out. Verse 24, right? Lord, you are God, who made heavens, who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Right? Then what about his providence? Go all the way back down to not all the way back, but all the way down to twenty-eight. To do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Okay? So again, God is directing, he is disposing. And he is governing all of his creatures, their actions, and things. Right? So we see this to be wonderfully true here as well, and how he executes his decrees. Very good. 
All right, let's turn over to and proceed with question 15. And actually, before we do that, any questions about 14 before we go on? Yeah. So, um, what is the, how can you relate God's sovereignty and God's sovereign authority? How do they relate to one another? Are they mutually exclusive? Or? No, no, I, I would say they're um, intricately connected, right? God, because God is sovereign, because he is uh, the almighty God, right? The self-existent God. Um, and he is sovereign over all of his creation, then his, um, his acts of his providence uh, proceed from that, right? Because he then has the right, the authority, the power, the ability um, to direct everything that comes to pass in, all of, in any and all of his creation. Right. So I'd say it's because of his sovereignty that you see also his authority and ability. Maybe you could say that his that his providence flows out of his sovereignty. Maybe that would be a good way to describe it. Yeah. And, and actually, if you were to think about it even a little bit more critically, if God wasn't sovereign, would he be able to direct, dispose, and govern all things? No. All right. Yeah, good question. Okay, so question 15. Let's flip the page and let's uh, move on here. So now the divines are going to dive a little bit into creation. So we say that he executes his decrees in his works of creation and providence. Okay, so let's study creation. Question 15, what is the work of creation? The work of creation is that wherein God did in the beginning, by the word of his power, make of nothing the world and all things therein for himself within the space of six days and all very good. All right, awesome. So the focus here is going to be mind-blowing, as you see here on the handout, right? The focus is the doctrine of creation. Whoa! You don't say. It's so clear in the question, Patrick. Um, no, but, uh, and so the question is then, when did God create the world and everything within it? Okay, that's where we begin in the answer here. When? It was in the beginning, right? Let's turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to go ahead and read the whole chapter here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Keep that in mind as we continue to study. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. 
Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth. And the gathering together of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Then God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves, with which the waters abounded according to their kind, and every winged bird according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. And then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day.
We continue in chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. And then we see verse 4 saying, this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. Or the earth and the heavens. Amen. So as we consider this great work of creation, we see here from the beginning the first three book or the first three words of scripture in Genesis chapter one, saying that God did all these things in the beginning. Right? When God when we talk about the beginning, when God talks about the beginning Um, He is not then referring to eternity past. He is referring to the beginning of time. And so in the beginning, this is what God created. And so um, as we consider how God created, we see that he created by what? By the word of his power making of nothing the world. This is speaking to the doctrine of ex ni- uh, two words, ex nihilo, in that God created everything from nothing. Okay. Um, so as you consider different theories, right, from the world, um, there are many theories that uh, even non-believers and heathens have proposed regarding how the world came to be. Right? Whether they say that there was some big bang, whether they say that there was a big bang that then uh, God just allowed to then flow and go on and, and these things came to, to pass. Um, or uh, even if there are other theories out there. What other theories have you heard, by the way, besides those in regards to creation? Yeah, theories. Gap theory? What's the gap theory, brother? Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. So in a lot of these theories, what is being said, right, is that the creation in and of itself had some creative power, right? to create from within itself, right? And so God didn't truly create all things, but an aspect of what he created then created other things, right? But that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says that he spoke these things, right? As you, as I read through Genesis chapter 1, what, what is at the beginning of each day, what are the, the three words at the beginning of those verses? Then God said... Right. God spoke all that exists into existence by the word of his power, by his spoken word. Right. Um, And so let's see from scripture how we also we see this clearly in Genesis chapter one and what we've read. I think that's uh, strong proof in and of itself. Uh, But let's look at Psalm 33. Psalm 33 verses six through nine. 
<laughs> we can shut down the engines. Yeah. Yeah. Psalm 33, beginning in verse 6. By the, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For what? For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. Right? Praise the Lord. So if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, by the way. go back to Genesis chapter 1, and let's say, for example, in verse 24, right? Then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beast of the earth, each according to its kind, and what? And it was so, right? We see this again confirmed in Psalm 33, right? God spoke. And it was done. <laughs> right? God spoke and it was done. Again, God has supreme, sovereign authority as creator. And his word, even the breath of his mouth, as the psalmist says, um, has creative power. It is powerful. It accomplishes his purposes. When he speaks, it's done. It's so. Hebrews chapter 11, we can look at verse 1, beginning in verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of the Lord of God, so that the things which were which are seen were not made of things which are visible. This again, the, the details of this work this verse fly in the face of these other theories. Right? So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. And the worlds were framed by the word of God. Again, Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. We saw that we looked at that considering as a, a proof text. As we were considering question 14, know that, that also, the, the truths therein also support this for the sake of time. Let's look at Romans 11. 
Romans 11 and 36. As we consider what the divines were saying here in that he made of nothing the world and all things therein for whom? For himself. For himself. Look at Romans 11.36. Does somebody have that? So, all of these things, ourselves, all created beings, all of creation itself, things visible and invisible, were created by him, for him, right, for himself. Very good. So, uh, we also see this to be true in Colossians. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And this is speaking about, uh, this section of chapter 1 is speaking about the preeminence of Christ. We can back up to verse 15. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Wonderful. So we see the preeminence of Christ. We see Christ on display. We see Christ lifted high in honor and reverence and glory. So we see his work in creation. Right? We see his work in creation. But even so, there is nothing in his creation that is above him. Right? There is nothing in his creation that is equal to him. Um, all are subordinate to him, for he is God. He is the firstborn from the dead. He is the firstborn of all creation, over all creation, and that does not mean that he was the first created being, as we've talked about in the uh, in the doctrine of God in the earlier questions. Um, that is pointing to his preeminence over all things, even as Paul said there in verse 17. Well, wonderful. Praise the Lord. Well, in the last few minutes here, we are going to dive into the simple uh, presentation of how long did it take to, for God to create all things? And uh, no, we, uh, we actually may keep that uh, for next time. And uh, by the way, uh, we, we will go ahead and keep that for next time because we needed to give that due justice. But, um, but that is the, the last and remaining piece of question 15 here. So um, I do want to let everybody know that um, I have asked and the session has approved for 
some other men here to help team teach the class. And so uh, we've asked uh, Will, Tejeda, and Travis uh, to help with that. And so Will is going to, we're going to rotate on about a monthly basis to uh, work through questions in the catechism. Will is going to pick up here uh, next week, and he'll be teaching during the month of February. And then Travis will have the month of March, and then yours truly, I'll be back in April. So um, so anyhow, Will can pick up this matter. I, I would uh, refer you once again. You can read through this and kind of be ready for some questions as part of the discussion. Um, and uh, I would refer you to the faculty statement on creation that Greenville's faculty uh, put together. And um, we, uh, uh, I think there are some very helpful points there in terms of uh, what some of the details are in the defense of uh, creation and the length of time that God created all things being a literal six-day, 24-hour period of time. Um, so I'll, I'll do that. Now, by the way, I do want to also make reference um, just by way of introduction to these other two men teaching. Uh, Travis, many of you know Travis. Some of you don't know him as well. But as you know, Travis and Laura and their family, they were members of our church prior. Travis went through the elder training and uh, he completed that. And um, so, and he's also, he is a graduate of uh, Reformed Theological Seminary. Um, so we appreciate his uh, gifts and knowledge there. And so that was a part of why we asked him to join me in this team teaching. And also, Will Tejeda is, um, he is at Greenville or taking classes at Greenville uh, Seminary now. And he seeks to become a man under care of our presbytery, which is uh, part of what the seminary requires him to do, as well as what we would also say is in good order uh, for him to be brought under care as a man um, uh, under care of the presbytery. So um, we are going to be petitioning uh, for Will to be examined at the May, uh, the May meeting of our presbytery. And in the meantime, one of the requirements is, is that uh, the session be able to, um, and it's also a benefit for the body, uh, to be able to, uh, to witness and to assess and to be able to commend his gifts. Um, and so this is a good opportunity for him to, as he teaches, to uh, show us those gifts and to be a blessing to the body. So anyway, just a little bit more background on that as we move forward. But yeah, any questions? Somebody, Travis, you had a question? Yeah, uh, I mean, it's been nine minutes, but... Um, Yeah, yeah, so, right, so w one of the things that I would encourage you to do, this is not, this is just their, their defense of why they would hold the sixth day, but what I would encourage you to do too, you can, you can look at the OPC's website, and the OPC drafted a uh, report on creation, um, it does present, so in, in the realm of creation, uh, there are what we call acceptable interpretive differences within the OPC. Um, there is the six-day position. There is the framework hypothesis. Give me the right one. 
Right. <laughs> the, and then there is the framework hypothesis and there is the analogical position. If you want to understand what those positions are, um, you can look at the OPC's report, creation report, and um, it's a, you know, probably about a 20, 25 page report, but towards the beginning, I believe it, it gives uh, some good summaries on those two positions in terms of what they, how they're looking at it and what they thought. So we can, but yeah, we can, uh, we can look more at this uh, next week, Lord willing. So, all right, let's close in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, your word, and we pray that you would continue to encourage us and grow us in the knowledge of it. Um, may we see you and your work, Lord Jesus. We thank you for the wonderful testimonies in Scripture of who you are and what you have done, even in your work in creation and providence. Oh, we praise you and we bless you and we glorify you, a triune living God. We pray that you would bless the worship that we bring with more of your saints here in the coming minutes. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.